0: Um, before we get started, I wanted to... Uh, Sarah, are you in here? Okay, come on up here. I wanted Sarah to share something about the Joplin mission trip. You want to come on up? Or? You need a microphone, don't you? Here. You got? Okay. Um, we're talking today about being shaped and being molded and being used by God and and uh, things change and, and a lot of change happened. Uh, At that mission trip, and Sarah's Sarah's gonna share just one story about that change.
1: Morning, everyone. Um, Our trip was to Joplin, Missouri, and two years ago there was a tornado that tore through the town and really destroyed it, a lot like um, just happened this past year in Oklahoma. And we partnered with Experience Mission, there were 19 of us that went out, and every day we did a Joy Junk Jesus at the end of the day to review just. Highs and lows, and where we saw God working. So that's what I'm going to share with you this morning, quickly. Um, joy is that we had a team of 19 of all diverse ages, and this was probably one of the more diverse teams that I've led um, before. And for the adults, it was a stretch because there was another group of about 60 people who were mostly teenagers. So you can imagine um, it was just a lot of chaos and running around. So. It was great uh, for our team to experience that. So joy was just everybody coming together and uniting for a cause. And our team especially, one of the projects that we worked on the most that week was at a lady Carol's house. And we were able to reinstall new windows. Her house was falling apart in many ways. But we were able to install new windows and kind of strengthen the walls around them. And then to paint the entire outside of the house as well as redoing her back porch that was in great need of repair. Um, And um, a Jesus through that experience was just seeing our team unite together as one body to, to work and just pull together. And the talent that we had on the team was just what we needed to get these projects done. So that was really cool to see Jesus work through us. And then Carol gave us Two paintings. She's an artist, which was cool because we have a couple of artists, teenagers, that were on our team, so they got to connect with her in that way as well. Um, But she gave us two pictures. I have one hanging in the hallway outside of the office already, but this is another one called Seeds of Sermon. Uh, She was just really touched by our team being there this week um, or that week working with her. And we had a little bit of junk on the way, some bumps in the road with. A flat tire on the way out, hitting some construction, a dead battery at one point, and then to come back, our van, um, the alternator belt, broke. But the timing of everything was perfect. God uh, worked out everything. The belt didn't actually break until it pulled onto the parking lot of the garage where it was getting fixed. So praise God for that. Um, It was just really cool to see just God's hand over us, his protection over us, and just the unity of the team. So I want to thank you all for supporting us and sending us to Joplin. Um, everybody is so grateful that you did that for us and we had a wonderful time.
0: Great, thanks Sarah. And to all 19, all 19 of them. Man, that's awesome. You know, I, uh, I try to point out a lot of times where w- when you reach out like that, The the no-brainer is that you're going to help people. So that doesn't necessarily have to be the goal. Because you're going to do that. You're going to touch people. She gave some of her paintings to our team. So we touched her. But the underlying thing is what happens to the people that go. The transformation inside. So that needs to be the goal when we reach out. That we become more like Jesus. And the help for other people. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. So... Let's get started today. We're starting a new series. It's called Shaping Things to Come. Each message is going to answer part of this question. In whose hands are you going to place your future? Now, before you assume the obvious, I'll tell you that the answer, at least in part, will surprise you. We're going to spend three weeks examining one passage of Scripture It's 11 verses in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of God's prophets. He spoke forth God's word. Now, if you have been going to church for any time at all, you're probably familiar with this passage. So let's look at it. I'll read through it. If you want to take your Bible or your your device, we're in uh, the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord... God said this to him, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house. He went down there, and he saw the potter working at his wheel. And the vessel in the potter's hand was spoiled. It was spoiled. It was messed up. So it seemed good for him to make another vessel. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says. This is what God's saying through him. O house of Israel, O people of God, in other words, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation that I'm talking about, which I've spoken about, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. Okay, so it's like God's changing his mind, right? And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build up and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. See, they had been doing all kinds of evil. And he says, return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. What we can pull out of this is something Yogi Berra said. Yogi Berra over the years said a lot of crazy things that didn't make much sense. Like when he said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's one thing he said. Another time he said, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. (laughs) He also said, the future ain't what it used to be. Another time he gave this brilliant advice. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. (laughs) You got to think about that one, don't you? Now, many things Yogi Berra said didn't make much sense. But in one of his famous sayings, he absolutely nailed it. He said, it ain't over till it's over. That is so true. No matter how things look today, it's not over yet. And it won't be over until it's over. These are words to live by. A common mistake is to think that the way things are today the way things are always going to be. That's just not true. The economy will not always be this way. If it's good, it won't always be good. If it's bad, it won't always be bad. Business is good now, but it could be bad later and turn around. This relationship will always be good? No. It will always be bad? No. There's a tide that turns, an ebb and flow back and forth. There's a saying that says that the only thing that's constant is change. It's always going to change. Now, this truth is both encouraging and it can be a warning. Things aren't always going to be like they are right now. So don't ever give up on the future. There's this ebb and flow. So don't ever uh, stop before the, the buzzer goes off. Keep going. It ain't over till it's over. That's the message of Jeremiah 18. Today I want to give you three reasons why no matter what you're going through, you can be sure that it's not over for you. The first reason is this. The potter is at the wheel. He's there. Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and said there he was working at his wheel. The potter. The potter symbolizes God. So Jeremiah makes it a point to say that he, the potter, is at the wheel. It's another way of saying that God is in control. You've heard that over and over again. God is in control. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes it doesn't look that way. Sometimes it seems that you're just a lump of clay sitting on this spinning wheel without anyone in control. It may look that way sometimes, but that's not the way it is there is a potter there there is one sitting at the wheel of your life he's shaping you he's molding you he's making you into the person he wants you to become in the icy waters surrounding the island of Greenland there are countless icebergs some are very little some are very large now if you watch them closely you'll notice something that some of the icebergs are moving in one direction and other icebergs are moving in another direction. Why is that? Well, the smaller icebergs are driven by the surface winds. But the, the deep, big icebergs are carried along by deep ocean currents. Now, you can't see the currents, but they're there. If an iceberg has sufficient depth, it can be carried in a direction this way in spite of the wind going the opposite direction. Bertrand Russell was the early 20th century version of Richard Dawkins. Russell was an outspoken critic of religion and a die-hard atheist. Once he was asked what he would say if he met his maker one day after his death, his response was this, I'd say, God you gave us insufficient evidence Well, Dawkins gave the same response to the same question. The truth is, many people feel that way. Many people feel that way. Since God exists primarily in the deep ocean ocean currents of life, since he's not mathematically definable, since he doesn't do press conferences, many conclude that he just doesn't exist. Here's an interesting tidbit. Modern science cannot locate the part of the brain that makes decisions. Now, science can pinpoint what part of the brain where decisions are rolled around, where the information is rolled around, but it cannot pinpoint where the decisions are actually made. In spite of this lack of scientific evidence, we know that there is, in fact, A deciding-making, a decision-making function in the brain. How do we know this? There's evidence. I'm not still staring in my closet today deciding which belt I was going to wear. And that was a good decision to make because my pants are still up. (laughs) So I made a decision. God may not be empirically discernible, but he is intuitively discernible. It's as simple as this. If you look for God, you'll find him. Later in the book of Jeremiah, God spoke through the prophet and said this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you look for God, you will find him. If you close your eyes to him, you won't. If you choose not to see him, there will always be those things that can't quite be explained away. The spiritual equivalent of big icebergs traveling against the wind. One reason why you should never give up on your future, never ever give up on it, is that the potter is at the wheel. God is in control. Here's the second reason it ain't over till it's over. The potter can transform any mistake into a masterpiece. You name it, he can change it. Since the potter is at the wheel, does that mean that you won't experience pain or regret or disappointment or anything like that? Of course not. Look what Jeremiah observed. Verse 4, he says, The vessel he was making, the potter was making, was spoiled in his hands. King James Version says, The vessel he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. The New Living Translation says, The jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. There will be times when the clay of your life is marred. Times when things turn out not only different from what you wanted, but different from what God wants. Look at it this way. God doesn't design everything that happens, but if you let him, he can redesign anything that happens. Not everything happens is by the design of God. Now, some people have a hard time believing this. You know, if God's in control, he should design everything. See, people want to blame every bad thing on the will of God. They want to blame uh, all kinds of unexplainable things. Well, if we can't explain it, it must have been God's will. I've heard well-meaning well, uh, meaning people say, to others who have been through a horrendous tragedy. They say, well, it must have been God's will. If it wasn't God's will, it wouldn't have happened. A few years ago, during a campaign, an Indiana politician made headlines when he said that if a woman becomes pregnant during a sexual assault, God intended for it to happen. What kind of twisted logic could possibly lead us to that conclusion? Where did we get that idea that if something happens, it must be God's will? I don't know, but I'll tell you where we didn't get it. We didn't get it from the Bible. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that many things happen that are not God's will at all. For starters, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to him. It's his will that all come, but many don't. That's why Jesus told us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything is as it ought to be. God's will is not always done on earth. If, if, if it was true that everything was God's will, then why would Jesus teach us to pray that? It would be redundant. It would be unnecessary. God's will doesn't always take place on earth as it does in heaven. Sometimes the jar doesn't turn out as God had hoped. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Now, that doesn't mean that God just leaves the scene of the accident. He's still overseeing everything. When that happened in Jeremiah, what did the potter do? It says he reworked it into another vessel. He didn't patch it up or tape it up or glue it. He reworked it into another vessel. He crushed it into a lump of clay and started all over again. In other words, things happen outside the will of God, but nothing happens outside of the control of God. There's no situation beyond his power to redeem it. If we allow him, he can take the broken parts of our lives and reshape them, remold them into something beautiful. If he can do it in the first place, like the song we sang, out of dust, he can certainly do it out of clay, out of something pliable like that. Sometimes the clay of your life gets marred because of your bad decisions, my bad decisions. Sometimes it gets marred because of the decisions of others, the bad decisions of others. These experiences are not God's perfect will for your life. However, he can take the bad experiences and use them to shape something good. Ask Jim and Cindy Dersham. Their business burned to the ground. But ask them about God reworking their misfortune into another vessel. It's already starting to happen. Some people ask, why does the bad experience have to happen at all? Why can't God just intervene and make it disappear? Why, stop, why not stop it before it happens? A few years ago, there was a, a kid in Joshua's school, my son. He began to pick on him. He was a big kid. He was being mean to my son. Now I could have made that problem go away real fast. I could have shown up at the school and beat the you know what out of that kid. (laughs) I could have maybe gone over to his house and beat up his dad if he wasn't too big. (laughs) You know. I could have pulled Joshua out of school. But none of those things were the right thing to do. So what did I do? I spoke to the teacher, I spoke to the principal. I spoke to my son about how to stand up to bullies. I was involved in a deep current level situation. You might say that I I was going against the wind, because the way the wind was blowing, I wanted to beat somebody up, (laughs) okay, but it was a deeper current pushing me. Now that incident happened outside of my will, but when it happened, I helped Joshua get through it. I got involved at a level that I thought was best for him so that in the process he could learn something about courage and about how others should be treated. In a more perfect way, this is how God is involved in your life. So rather than thinking of him as the the guy who's messing everything up, God, why'd you do that? Instead of that, recognize that he's the one that will get you through it. God didn't give you cancer. The food and the the cigarettes maybe gave you cancer. But he's going to get you through it, whatever that cause was. Your financial situation, God didn't cause those problems. Your spending habits did, or maybe the economy created your current financial situation. But God's the one that will help you through it. God didn't come in and sabotage your marriage or force your kids to be rebellious. But he's the one to help you through those things. So stop blaming our fallen world, our sinful bent. Stop blaming that on God's will and start seeking his help through the challenges you face. Do You think God was, it, it was God's will when it came to a guy named Chuck Colson I don't know if everybody remembers him. He was in that Watergate scandal with Nixon. Went to prison. Was it God's will that Chuck committed all those crimes? Of course not. But God was able to take that flaw, take that messed up clay, and use the circumstances to turn Colson's life around. And now as a transformed Christ follower... He has touched countless lives of criminals, leading them to Jesus Christ. That's a new guy. That's not the same guy. That's that's a guy that used to be that that the potter just started over. Man, it's awesome. There's a guy named Thomas Nass. He was a 19th century political cartoonist. He was the first guy to draw the elephant as the Republican Party uh, little symbol there. He he also popularized the donkey for the Democrats. There's a story about him that it may be partially legend, but it's still a great story. let me read it to you. One afternoon, it says he was uh, painting in front of an audience, as 19th century artists often did. He quickly sketched the landscape of the canvas, meadows, cattle, fields, a farmhouse, a bright sky, white, fluffy clouds. Then he stepped back from his work as if it were finished, and the audience applauded. But he wasn't finished. He switched to a palette of dark colors. He began recklessly applying them to the pastel scene. He blotted out the sky and the the green meadows and the colorful flowers until the landscape seemed to be destroyed. He stepped back from his work again and said, Have you ever seen a painting like this? The crowd stood silently, too stunned to applaud his second effort. He asked the stage attendants to turn the frame to a vertical position. At that point, the audience understood what was happening. From a new perspective, they could see it was actually a painting of a waterfall with a stream flowing over dark rocks surrounded by trees and greenery. Now, this story may be a little bit contrived. I don't know, but I'll tell you what isn't contrived. God can do this very thing in your life. He can take the blotches and the mistakes and the the sections of marred clay, and he can make them into a masterpiece. God doesn't design everything that happens, but he can redesign anything that happens. Don't give up on your future. Don't do it. It's not over yet. There's a potter at the wheel, and he can turn any mistake into a masterpiece. This brings us to the third thing. The potter will shape your future if you are willing to be the clay. That's a huge if. If you're willing to be the clay. In this sense, you get to choose your genetic makeup. (laughs) You really do. You can be a stone or you can be clay. You can be cold, old, and brittle. Or you can be pliable and moldable and changeable. It's your choice. There's an old hymn. Some of you old people may know it. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know it. (laughs) Remember this one? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Yep, some of you know it. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yield it and still. The hymn was inspired by the words we're looking at today. And also, by some other words, by another prophet named Isaiah. where God says, Isaiah says, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are the work of your hands. can't take any credit for how we're shaped and molded. It's all God's hands. You get to choose what kind of clay you will be. Some people decide early on, I'm not going to be pliable. I'm not changing for anyone or anything. That's their choice. And when the clay of their life gets marred, there's not a whole lot they can do about it. You also get to choose who sits at the potter's wheel. Some people decide early on, I'm not surrendering control of my life. I've got to be in control of my life. I've got to hold on. So, what do they do instead? They don't let God control their lives. They just spin randomly on the wheel. When the clay of their life gets marred, not much they can do about it. I once watched this potter on TV, you know, flipping through the PBS station sometimes. They have these art shows. and There was this guy demonstrating uh, making pottery like this. And uh, He had a small group of spectators and he formed this beautiful little vase, you know. And then he asked if there was anybody that wanted to give it a try. Well, this guy gets up, sits at the potter's wheel, it starts spinning. He puts his hands in it and just made a complete mess of it to show it's not as easy as it looks. If clay has any hope of becoming a beautiful piece of pottery it needs to be sure that the right potter is sitting at the wheel. Do you want to be the clay that's spinning on an unattended wheel? Do you want to be clay that is in the hands of some random guy in the crowd? Neither scenario is likely to work out very well for you. However, if you will allow God to sit at the potter's table then these words later in Jeremiah will be yours. Listen to these. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This was now he was explaining why he had to watch this potter. Can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. We're getting ready in a a few weeks to kick off or start our what we're calling our simple process. We're going to kind of define what, what Cornerstone is all about and you know, the bottom line thing. What are we all about here? And uh, the, the reason we're doing it, the reason we're going to be going through a process, we're really already doing it now. We're just going to kind of define it. But there's a reason for it it's to be transformed, it's to be molded, it's to put ourselves into a process a continuing process that God can transform us. We can be changed. So instead of you coming in this week to church and leaving exactly the same, or instead of you going on a Joplin mission trip and coming back exactly the same, you will be different at each venue that you get yourself involved in. It's all about being changed, being molded, being transformed into the image of Jesus. You shouldn't want to see the, the same old me next week. You should want to see a better me next week. In same way with you guys. So in this life, you get to choose the potter. You get to choose the, what kind of clay you will be. You get to choose whether you will be driven by surface winds, just wherever, or by deep ocean currents. It's up to you. And that's why it's not over yet. That's why it's too soon to give up. Don't give up on your future. There is a deep current and even though it can't be seen from the surface there is a potter at the wheel of your life. He can take mistakes and turn them into masterpieces if you will only say, have thine own way Lord. It ain't over till it's over. You know what, I want to do something here that just kind of popped in my head. I'm After the band plays this last little song, they'll dismiss you. But I'm just going to hang out up here. And if you just want some prayer, you know, maybe some of you elders can help me if if a whole throng of people show up. Um, I I just want to pray for you. If if you feel like you've been so discouraged that you feel like it's all over, it'll never change. I want to pray for you, okay? I'm going to pray generally, but if you want some specific prayer, you do that. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for this uh, visual image you gave us. And Jeremiah, your prophet, your your weeping prophet, he's known as your weeping prophet because he was weeping so much over the dismay of Israel. He was trying to to get their attention by what you said. God, I know you're trying to get our attention all the time to help us, to bless us, to guide us, and to reshape us. So uh, allow us to allow you to do that very thing in Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you. Please come up front for prayer if you'd like.